0: Lord, we're going to need your help on this one this morning because something in us wants to resist this command and so we ask uh, that you would uh, especially open our hearts uh, to receive what you have to say to us this morning uh, for those of us, for any of us, for any listening today that would truly want to follow Jesus, uh, give us ears to hear and um, an understanding of how to do this. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take a sip here. I don't know if it's the smoke in the air or what, but I'm a little parched this morning. Um, I don't think it's on anymore. I think, the, I think they're done producing this show, but Becky and I used to uh, like to watch a show called Downton Abbey. Any of you know that show? It's all the ladies that are raising their hand. I don't understand what that's about. Uh, for those of you that don't know about that show, it depicts uh, the lives of, of a wealthy, uh, aristocratic uh, family estate in the 1920s, I think it is, um, and it also in England, and uh, it also uh, looks at the the happenings uh, of the the servants who who keep the whole thing running, really, and and they're they're downstairs, and uh, when I watch that show, I'm mostly engaged with what's. Happening downstairs in the in the servants' quarters, and I was thinking about why that is, and uh, it occurred to me that a number of years ago I I got into researching uh, family ancestry. Some of you have done that. I I got signed up on a site uh, that helps you sort of document and, and map your family tree, and um, maybe if if you've done that, maybe like me, you've uh, you've sort of hoped right that you'd discover. Uh, that you were the great, great, great grandchild of maybe some nobility or something like that, right? Or, or maybe even hope that there was a small fortune or a large fortune just, just waiting to be claimed by you, right? The, the descendant of this nobility. Uh, for me, no such luck. Um, because for generations, really going back as, as far as I've been able to go, uh, my people were in service. Uh, they, they were poor people. Uh, their, their lot in life was to serve others. And uh, one of the things that the show Downton Abbey has taught me is that those who were in service actually took pride uh, in that role. And I'm sure there was a part of them that, that was sort of just making the best out of their lot in life. But I, I wonder sometimes, I wonder if maybe they were actually on to something that God has intended for us, has, has wired into us uh, something that, that became uh, very distorted and, and corrupted by sin. Uh, Something that got ruined in us. Uh, Our text this morning is in Ephesians 5, uh, which is on page 945 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. And uh, I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning um, have have gotten a lot of people riled up uh, over the years, because taken out of context, some of these statements that we're going to look at have been used to manipulate and and control others um, around us, Uh, and so it's important that we try to carefully understand what uh, God, through the Apostle Paul, uh, is, is trying to say to us in this passage. So before we go any further, um, I, I want to lay a foundation for where Paul is coming from when he tells us to submit to one another. For that, we go back up to the very top of the, the chapter. Uh, Paul begins chapter 5 with these words, Therefore, be imitators of God... As dearly loved children and live in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So, the, the first half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is all about what Christ has accomplished for us and, and who we are in Christ. Uh, And then when he gets to chapter 5, we have that word, therefore, which tells us what Paul's about to say is there because of everything that has come before. So the second half of his letter is is giving instruction on, on, on how we are to live. It's because of what Christ has done in us and because of our identity in Christ that Paul says... We are to be imitators of God. We are to imitate Christ. This is the same argument that he makes in his letter uh, to the, the uh, Philippian Christians uh, that, that Matt read for us just a few moments ago. Uh, Philippians 2.5, Paul says, you should have the same mindset toward one another that Christ Jesus had. So in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. In Philippians 2.5, have the same mindset as Christ. And then Paul tells us what that mindset was. Again, Philippians 2, verse 6. Though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death On a cross. Now, Ephesians and Philippians were were probably written uh, within the same year, about 62 AD, during Paul's first imprisonment. Uh, And and Paul says very similar things uh, to the the believers in Philippi as he does to the believers in Ephesus. Uh, In the Ephesians passage, Paul uses prose. In the Philippians passage, Paul uses uh, what became an early hymn of the church, where they sang this uh, regularly. Uh, and in both passages, we're told to imitate God or imitate Christ. And then Paul tells us how we're supposed to do that. So here uh, in the Philippians hymn, we read that Christ humbled himself by stepping down from his rights as God. doesn't say that he stopped uh, being God, it says that he didn't cling to that as his right. And it says that Christ stepped down from heaven to become what? A slave. A slave. And so in Jesus, we, we, we see him releasing his rights as God to become a slave, to serve God by serving us. He humbled himself verse 8, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now the Greek word underneath, uh, our English word humble, means to, it's not uh, shocking or anything, it just means to take a lower rank, to become plain. I think we see one of the clearest examples of this um, during our, our Conversations with Jesus series, when just before he went to the cross, Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist, remember? And he washed his disciples' feet. The the, the teacher comes under his students. Uh, The king of the universe takes a lower rank than his subjects. Amazing. Scandalous, really. Lance Ford says this about being humble. There's only one way to become humble, You have to do it yourself. We must humble ourselves. Other people can humiliate us, and at times we accidentally humiliate ourselves, but that does not necessarily make us humble. It is up to us to humble ourselves, to put ourselves in a lower rank. And that's the mindset, friends, that we're supposed to have. That's the foundation for what paul is about to say to us in ephesians 5 so we'll go back there now Um, uh, verse 21 of ephesians 5 submit to one another out of reverence for christ so jesus out of reverence for the father submitted and humbled himself to serve us even to the point of death on a cross and we out of reverence for christ are to submit to one another And the Greek word for submit is very similar to the word for humble. It it, it means to place under. But it's always, always, always used in the sense of placing yourself under. Um, I think most of us know this. When someone else places you under, that's not submission. That's called subjugation. Right? That's control of another person. Another word we use for that is abuse, okay? That is not what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians or in Philippians 2. He's talking about a willing deference to one another that is more concerned about their good than my own good. And uh, the reason it works, like all of these one another commands, is because we are members of one another, we are members of one body. So by being more concerned about the other, the whole body benefits. And when the whole body benefits, I benefit because I'm a part of that body. Do you see how this works? So with mutual submission, submit to one another. That's where we start, verse 21. Mutual, everyone submitting to one another with mutual submission as the foundation, let's look at where Paul goes with this. So after telling the believers to submit to one another, Paul lists a number of examples. They, they could almost be seen as bullet points, um, different, uh, different ways we are to do this, different relationships that this happens in, and he begins with women who are married. Verse 22, he says, wives, Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He, Christ, is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Uh, These are are hard verses. Uh, they, They... they have, uh, they've caused a lot of people to see Paul as misogynistic or paternalistic uh, in his views about women. Um, I really don't think Paul was a misogynist, um, but I do think that misogynists have used Paul's words here to support uh, their own subjugation of, of women. And I think it happens in two ways. And the first is this. When people ignore the context of mutual submission, mutually coming under the other, when they ignore the context of of these verses, uh, it becomes very easy to weaponize these verses and use them against others, particularly these verses, use them against women to force them To submit. as I said earlier, that's not submission. When you force someone else to submit, that's not submission. You might use that word, but that's not what it is. It's abuse. Submission is this willingly placing yourself under another person. And we're all supposed to do that with one another. So that's the first thing. We can't take it out of context. Uh, and secondly, I think we have to be careful with the word "head" uh, in our modern English language, we tend to hear this word as meaning authority over someone don 't we? Um, we 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 have heads of corporations we, we have the boss, the CEO and and when we read "head" as that uh, we 're in danger of projecting all kinds of worldly and even wicked understandings on what this verse uh, must be saying. It it seems clear to me that Paul goes out of his way here and in other passages to show that he is subverting the notion that the man is the boss of his wife. And and I'll talk a little more about why why I think that. Uh, I I think he says it here. He, He at least hints to it in verse 23, and he'll expand on it in verses 25 to 30. But, but for now, let's just say that Paul is saying that all men are supposed to be the head like Jesus is the head. Okay? That's pretty clear here. Um, and, and that's what women are to willingly submit to. Okay? Now, I need to say this. Uh, this verse is not intended to allow the abuse of women in the home or anywhere else um, or suggest that they should stay in an abusive situation. Um, if, if you read um, news at, at all, uh, especially Christian news, news that happens in, in churches, There have recently been news stories about pastors who have used their wrong interpretation of these verses that we just read um, to encourage women to stay in abusive relationships. And what this does is heap religious abuse on top of domestic abuse. So it becomes doubly evil, doubly wicked. It's, It's awful. It's wrong. Um, and unfortunately sometimes the world recognizes this before some Christians do because they have a wrong understanding of these verses. Let me let me add this. If you are in that kind of a relationship, I I want you to hear me say um, talk to somebody, please. Um, Whether that's somebody here at the church that that you trust or at at one of our community resources for women, um, abusive husbands need to be rebuked. And if they don't repent and change their behavior, the wife should not remain in that relationship. Okay? It's wrong. So we're going to move on. And I think as we do, it's going to become more clear uh, how this mutual submission is even possible. Um, I kind of wish that Paul had started with the men, but he didn't. Um, and because the Holy Spirit inspired him to start with the women, I'm going to trust that. Um, but the guys, it, it, it's our turn next, Okay. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of weddings over the years, and, and I typically use Ephesians chapter 5 in the premarital counseling that I take couples through. And uh, when I read through the text uh, with the couple, time and time again, when I get to the end of verse 24, um, I, I'll look up, and oftentimes the young man is sitting there with sort of a smug look on his face, right? Um, and time and time again, I think, oh, buddy, <laughs> you, you think you just got off really easy. You have no idea what's coming, right? And then we continue into verse 25, which says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. And, you know, even after reading those verses, some guys will say something stupid like, so my wife's supposed to submit to me and I'm supposed to love her, right? So as long as she submits to me, I keep loving her. No, you're missing it. See, what's actually happening here is that God is raising the bar for us men. Um, he's actually asking a lot more of us, uh, I think. Uh, and because guys can be kind of thick sometimes, Paul has to get more specific with us than he is with the women. So he says, we are to love our wives how? How? Go ahead. Some some got, let women just go ahead and just sit on this for let's let's have some guy tell me how are we supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, how do you do that? We read about it in Philippians two. Paul describes it here in Ephesians five. He uses the term by giving himself for her. It's important we we understand that Paul's writing these words into a culture where men had all of the rights, all of them. Very different culture than we live in today. Uh, And men had all the authority. Women had almost no rights. In, In many cases, they were viewed as property. And to the men in that culture... Paul says, love your wife like Christ loved us. By giving up his rights and humbling himself. By placing himself under, by submitting to death on a cross. This is probably going to be a little controversial. Uh, You know, over the years there's been a lot written and, and preached about uh, what it means to be the spiritual leader in the home and it and it sounds really good i, I actually have never been able to find those words in the Bible i'm not sure what well I kind of do know what people mean by it but but if headship uh, that we that we saw in verses twenty two to twenty four is what those people mean when they say spiritual leader, if that's what they mean, which I think a lot of them take it from there. If that's what they mean, then Ephesians 5, supported by Philippians 2, tells us what spiritual leadership or headship looks like. You want to be the head of your home? Then humble yourself. Humble yourself under your wife. You want to be a spiritual leader in your home? Serve your wife. You want to be the king of your castle? We hear that term sometimes. Then the Bible would tell us to follow Jesus' lead He was the king of the universe and he came to serve, not to be served. Verses 26 and 27 talk about sanctifying her, making her holy. And and, and Paul kind of wanders back and forth between what these men are supposed to do and what we see Jesus doing, but he's, he's telling us we're supposed to do the same thing. Making her holy, sanctifying her, they they come from the same Greek word, hagios. The word means to set apart. So it strikes me, guys, that those of us who are married uh, need to ask ourselves this question. Do our wives know that they are set apart from all other women? Real ones or airbrushed ones. Do they know that? If the answer is no, then we got work to do. You see? The whole point I think here is that loving our wives as Christ loves the church means willingly placing ourselves under our wives in the role of servant or as as Paul uses in Philippians, even slave. Now, ladies, let me ask you this question. If if your guy was loving you like that, would you find it difficult or easy to willingly submit under that? This This is why I think Paul can ask women to submit to their husbands as as to the Lord because their husbands are submitting to them. It's a mutual submission. Paul ends this section by saying that this is a mystery, but it's a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. So Christ humbling himself and giving himself for his bride and the church submitting to Christ's leadership. And when husbands and wives do this, they give the world a picture of who Jesus is and his relationship with the church. So that's husbands and wives. Uh, Paul's example of uh, mutual submission continues into chapter 6, uh, where, we, uh, where we read in verse 1, Children, you thought you were getting off this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment accompanied by a promise, namely that it may go well with you and that you will live a long time on the earth. Now, little children are, are obviously under the authority of their parents. In a sense, they have to obey. They have to do as they're told. But there comes a point that kids have the opportunity to willingly place themselves under their parents, submit To their parents. And remember, the the, the meaning of the word submit uh, is is willingly placing yourself under someone. Uh, In this case, your parents. And verse 3 suggests that it might have long lasting health benefits. You want to live a long time? Obey your parents, right? Submit to your parents. Uh, I do want to include a similar exception to this command as I did with women. And so kids, if a parent is asking uh, you to do something that you know is wrong, you know is sinful, uh, if any adult actually is asking you to do that, uh, you need to ask another adult for help, somebody that you can trust. Uh, Maybe that's one of your youth workers or, or Chrissy or me or someone else here at the church. But God is not saying here that you should do something sinful or harmful Uh, when he says that you're to obey your parents, okay? So that's the kids. In verse 4, guys, we get a turn again. See, Paul's brutal with with the guys here in this passage. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So dads uh, who are, are sort of prone to demanding obedience, because I said so, any of you ever use it? I'm raising my hand, okay? We're being called to a different kind of parenting. Uh, and I would say this even if he weren't in the room, but especially because he is. Uh, I, I failed at this so many times. Uh, too many times I was harsh with my kids. Too many times I demanded obedience because I said so. And the effect of that was that I exasperated my kids and I made them angry. Um, It doesn't work. But what Paul offers here is an alternative. He says, instead of provoking your kids to anger, raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, the, the, the phrase raise them up is, is literally, it literally means to nurture, to, to feed them. It's actually a very mothering word that we dads are supposed to do. And, and the word discipline doesn't mean to beat them into submission. It's not what it means. It, it carries the idea of, of training a plant up on a trellis, coaching it to go in the direction uh, that, that you want it to go until it naturally wants to go that way. Uh, that, that's what the word discipline means. So again, dads, we're, we're not to, to force submission, we're not to subjugate, uh, but we're to come under, um, uh, to s- s- support and, and, and serve our kids. Just like our Heavenly Father does with us. He's not harsh with us. And he calls us to the same. So husbands and wives are to submit to one another. Parents and children are to submit to one another. And then Paul takes submission into the workplace. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not like those who do their work only when someone is watching as people-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Obey with enthusiasm, as though serving the Lord and not people, because you know that each person, whether slave or free, if he does something good, this will be rewarded by the Lord. Uh, thankfully, though it took way, way too long, uh, in in. At least in our country, slavery has has been recognized as the horrific practice that it actually is. Uh, Treating people as property to be bought and sold or as an uh, object uh, to be used for one's own pleasure or gain is an affront to God himself who created people in his image. Really important that we understand that when we treat other people badly, we're offending God because he made them in his image. I hope you can see the connection. Uh, Most commentators agree that the principles mentioned in verses 5 through 8 could apply to employees today, not just slaves. And those points would be that we are to work hard, even when no one's looking. Um, Work as if Christ is your employer. Uh, Understand that the Lord himself will reward you when you do good. And this might be another opportunity just to note that with any of these relationships, we're not bound to do anything that is immoral or illegal. Um, Verse 6 says, we're to be slaves of Christ doing the will of God. So a Christian employee should never feel like they are bound to obey an employer if they're asked to do something immoral or illegal. Uh, Submitting to those in authority over us no matter where, never means disobeying God's law. Then, just like we applied the truths about slaves to employees, we can do the same thing uh, about applying the truths about masters to employers, I think. Uh, So if you're a Christian and you employ or supervise uh, other people, verse 9 is for you. Masters, treat your slaves the same way, giving up the use of threats. Because you know that both you and they have the same master in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So, employers and and supervisors have this unique opportunity to model Jesus in the workplace. In in the hierarchy of the the company org chart, uh, you're in an exalted place, like Jesus, right? And you have the opportunity to come under your employees and serve those who are under you. I don't know if he's listening today or not, but I I, I saw my dad do this. I I saw him serve his employees um, in some really profound ways. Um, And... Part of it was he knew that by doing that, he benefited his own company uh, by taking care of them. Uh, employees know the authority that you have been given uh, by your position in the company, whether just a supervisor or the owner. You don't have to prove it. That's where we, we, we get messed up when we think we have to prove our rights. And, and Jesus said, I don't need to prove anything. I'm God's own son. I've got to prove that. You can go around handing out business cards saying, uh, by the way, this is who I am, right? Show them you're made of different stuff. Show your employees you're made of kingdom stuff. Uh, That makes you like Jesus. Jesus. Well, that's that's the end of the the submit to one another um, commands in Ephesians 5 and and 6. Uh, But actually, the list throughout the New Testament goes on and on, Uh, just to name a few. Galatians 5.13, Paul tells all Christians that they are to be slaves of one another. Why is no one amening this morning? Amen! slaves of one another. 1 Peter 5.5, five, Peter exhorted young men to submit to older men. Hebrews 13.17, all members of the church are exhorted to obey their leaders and submit to their authority. 1 Peter 5.2, elders and pastors are commissioned to be servants, leaders who are eager to serve. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, Christians are instructed to submit to to the other authority figures in their lives who are not Christians, particularly those who are leaders in our government. Again, unless they're asking us to do something immoral, right? Here's the bottom line. As believers in Christ, we are to have the same mind, same attitude that was in him. We're to be known as people who submit to one another and serve one another out of reverence for Christ. It's upside down to the way we've been taught. Right? The way we've been taught is the way up is up. Makes sense. But in God's kingdom way up is actually down. First will be last. We're going to have to trust, if we're going to follow him, we're going to have to trust that he knows what's best when he says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to learn to be the servant of everyone. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and I'm Going to invite the ushers to come uh, to receive the offering um, and uh, just before we do that let's let's pray together uh, as we go to prayer let me let me just in the quietness here and invite you to consider maybe one or two relationships where you need to work on having the humble mindset of Christ? Is it at home? Is it in the workplace? In your relationships here at Grace? Maybe with unbelievers and the community. And if you're serious about following Jesus, are you, are you willing this morning to take that scary step of following Jesus' example in that relationship? Just Just silently ask for his help in doing that. Lord, we're grateful this morning that you came and gave yourself for us. All we have is from you. And here in this moment, we give back to you as a response uh, to your generosity to us. We offer ourselves and our resources to you uh, to, to, to further your kingdom. Help us to do that and and receive these gifts, Lord, from grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.